Welcome to the Question Community Broadcast. The Question is a new disruptive community that provides a gathering place for those who wonder about our complex selves, our complex world, our complex universe. We are a non-religious and inclusive community that explores the many questions surrounding truth in order to encourage you on the important journey to find your own answers. The Question Community gathers every third Sunday evening at Redbush Tea and Coffee Company in the Kensington neighborhood of Calgary, starting at 7. Information on the community is available at our website, www.thequestion.ca. You can also join the community online at our Facebook page, which is The Question, and on Twitter, at TQCom, with two M's. You're now going to hear some highlights from our community gathering, where the question is asked through original arts and music, as well as thought-provoking presentations. This is Frederick Tamagi. Okay, so uh, before I begin tonight, uh, I just want to give you a gentle reminder <clears throat> that in concert with the presentation of Synchronicity Part 2, uh, the promotional sale of our Sigmund Freud, Carl Jung, and Albert Einstein action figures has been extended through this evening. Uh, stocks are extremely limited. Okay? Uh, in fact, I'm told that you may not actually be able to get one tonight, but nevertheless, I've been told to kind of share that message with everyone. Didn't even know that we had these, right? Okay. So the, the four weeks since our last gathering uh, seemed like a long time to me, and perhaps for some of you. This was because of the vague, unfinished business kind of feeling that I had after presenting Synchronicity Part 1 in December. Now, for those of you who weren't here last month, time constraints forced me to break up my overall story into two parts. Uh, and so waiting a whole month before I could complete the story seemed like a long time. I also found myself wondering if the incredible and overwhelming research material that uh, seemed to keep appearing over the last month would allow me to make Synchronicity Part 2 an actual ending to the story. Finally reminded myself that uh, this community is called The Question for a reason. And the reason is that together we fight our conditioning that such an incredible story requires a completion, or an ending, or even an answer. So I'll share Part 2 with you tonight with the more realistic notion that I've not really written an ending, but maybe just the beginning of a beginning. However, because this whole presentation was at least intended to be a two-parter, I need to kind of reset the stage for both new and returning community members by borrowing a familiar narrative device from television called the recap sequence. So, previously <laughs> on Synchronicity. Uh, last month, I began the presentation with a couple of personal stories. The first story concerned two expected mothers one of them my wife, first meeting in a hospital as they experienced labor, then sharing unexpected risks and profound joy in the birthing process, and then being abruptly separated with no way of staying in touch with each other. Four years later, as I was busy tidying up my garage, an unexpected tandem bicycle accident right on the street in front of my house drew me to the rescue of the rider and her young passenger. It was the very same young mother from the hospital and her now four-year-old daughter. Now our families have never lost touch again. The second personal story occurred in the spring of last year as I was driving on a secondary gravel road trying to find a recording studio uh, located on a rural acreage just outside Chester. I stopped 
for just a few seconds to glance at a Google Maps printout, uh, just to get my bearings. About a minute later, as I was approaching an uncontrolled crossroads, partially obscured by trees and farm buildings, another vehicle suddenly rocketed across my path from the right, missing the front end of my vehicle by just a few feet. My life was altered, perhaps forever, by just a momentary glance at a Google map. Now, I threw these personal stories out there to prompt all of you to think of your own personal stories and how you settled them and how you settled the outcome in your own way, in your own mind. Many of us safely settle the outcome by describing our stories, no matter how epic they are, as coincidence. Now, what is coincidence? Well, coincidence is a remarkable or unique concurrence of events without any apparent causal connection. The idea of coincidence is like uh, our modern easy science default setting. Uh, it's what I described last month as the sociological equivalent of political correctness. Our natural reluctance to acknowledge or believe anything uh, that isn't scientifically proven is pretty much the beating heart of coincidence. And like most politically correct behavior, this default setting keeps us safely, uncommitted, and unembarrassed. I then shared a really simple intellectual grid uh, that illustrated where the question of coincidence might be positioned in our thought process. The grid runs from completely crazy at one end to completely proven in the center to completely possible at the other end. Coincidences sit somewhere in the zone between completely crazy and completely proven. This safe zone is a convenient catch-all for pretty much everything that we, can't, uh, that we experience but can't explain. Now we become so accustomed or conditioned to living in this kind of intellectual safety that we've been duped, in a way, into believing that if our personal stories of coincidence can't be empirically understood any other way, then a purely personal validation of their significance might label us with a crazy sticker. And naturally, we don't want that label. And yet, here's the first question of the evening. Can you not empirically validate curiosity just by saying that you're curious? Just like every explorer or scientist or disruptor that came before us, it's curiosity that provides the necessary courage to move out of the safe zone toward the completely possible end of the grid. And like every curious explorer that came before us, the further we move away from the completely proven, the less safe it will feel. And Victor talked about that tonight. The new danger zone on the other side of completely proven is where the question of synchronicity hangs out. So what is synchronicity? Well, synchronicity is a remarkable or unique concurrence of events that are not connected by cause, but may be connected by meaning. The question of synchronicity kind of haunts us, doesn't it? Uh, whenever a significant coincidence of events takes place. The reason it haunts us is that even though we can't validate or prove the connection between the components, the cause, we often can't escape the significance of the outcome, the meaning. Admittedly, it's a challenge to shift our natural questions from the cause of something that happens to the meaning of something that happens. If we're not curious, then there's no reason to alter our safe position on the grid because there is no question. Coincidence doesn't really require a question, does it? Synchronicity always requires a question. So look, jigsaw puzzles. 
make absolutely no sense to us as individual pieces. And the more complex the puzzle, the more difficult it is to identify the connection between the pieces. Yet, the most curious or the most nerdy among us gather up the pieces, having already concluded that they do have a predetermined connection. And the eventual outcome will be a complete, intelligible image. Synchronicity is kind of like that jigsaw puzzle, except for the fact that we're often given both the pieces and the complete, the complete image all at once. Now, last month, or earlier this month, I should say, I tweeted that synchronicity is a chocolate cake to illustrate that not knowing the individual ingredients doesn't have to detract from the deeply satisfying truth that the cake is delicious. So if synchronicity is a chocolate cake, it was important last time to share the story of the bakers and the bakery. Uh, the complete story is on our Facebook page and will soon be available, I think, David Wright on two podcasts. Um, that we're going to be uploading soon and also on our YouTube channel. But here's the short story version. This is Victor Wu.
Sigmund Freud, uh, the founder of psychoanalysis, could be considered the godfather of synchronicity because it was he who first understood the significance of the human unconscious as the driving force of our conscious thoughts and behavior. Freud, the godfather, was the powerful inspiration and mentor to Carl Jung, the founder of analytical psychology and the actual father of synchronicity. Now, without Freud's revolutionary model of the interaction between the conscious and the unconscious, represented here by his famous psychic iceberg metaphor, Carl Jung would never have received the foundation for his own theory of a critical third component to the human psyche, the collective unconscious. This new psychic iceberg of Carl Jung included the encompassing ocean of the collective unconscious, an interactive companion to our personal unconscious. Jung theorized that this ocean of consciousness was mysteriously shared by all of mankind throughout all of history. It was the collective unconscious that would be the perpetual swinging door of the bakery that makes the chocolate cake of synchronicity. So why did Carl Jung take us out of the safe harbor of being completely in our own heads uh, and cast us adrift into the cold, uncharted ocean? Well, in the years leading up to his theory of the collective unconscious, two deeply influential experiences shaped Jung's vision of the human psyche, the universe, and the possible link between them. The first experience was a remarkable four-year relationship with Albert Einstein, where the two explorers would meet regularly over dinner to share and discuss their ideas. This period of time was formative for both of them, as it also took place right in the midst of Einstein's formulation of the theory of relativity. During these friendly and formal dinner conversations, Carl Jung was deeply inspired and began to see parallels between Einstein's view of space and time and his own views of a transcendent human consciousness. The second experience occurred shortly after Jung's dinner friendship with Einstein came to an end and after his professional relationship with Freud collapsed under the strain of his new disruptive thinking. So lapsing into a kind of bipolar depression, for over three years, Jung carried out his clinical work by day, but by night and night after night, he experienced a continuing series of conscious and unconscious visions, which he called active imaginations. He recorded this three-year confrontation with the unconscious, his words again, complete with detailed illustrations in a powerful journal that he named the Red Book. This important private journal was only made public in 2009, okay, almost 100 years from his first entries. And it details the experiences that convinced Jung of the existence of another unconscious realm. It was a realm of mythic thoughts and images. This is another one of his illustrations, something he called the psychic life of our ancestors. The images were so powerful that Jung concluded that they could not have arisen solely from his own personal experiences or memories. Now, the coincidental synthesis of Freud's original model of the mind, remember the iceberg, Einstein's new perspectives on the relativity of space and time, and Jung's unprecedented red book journey provided the foundation for the theory of the collective unconscious and opened a pathway to the theory of synchronicity. I'm now going to take you further down that path in synchronicity part two. Now, I should mention that Victor's description of his process for writing Song 
just to allow words to come to him and spontaneously occur inside the song. This may be a possible explanation of where those words come from. I begin part two with one of Carl Jung's favorite stories, which he often used to illustrate his ideas about synchronicity. The story is from Lewis Carroll's book, Through the Looking Glass, the sequel to Alice in Wonderland, and involves a short exchange between Alice and the White Queen. I laughed when I discovered this story, as over a month before I started researching Carl Jung, I myself was coincidentally inspired to use an Alice in Wonderland metaphor for my own journey as a presenter, tumbling down the rabbit hole of investigation and research. Here's the exchange. The rule is jam tomorrow and jam yesterday, but never jam today. Now jam refers to the condiment, okay, meant as a tasty reward to Alice for serving the White Queen. It must come sometimes to jam today, Alice objected. No, it can't, said the Queen. It's jam every other day. Today isn't any other day, you know. I don't understand you, said Alice. It's dreadfully confusing. Well, that's the effect of living backwards, the Queen said kindly. It always makes one a little giddy at first. Living backwards, Alice repeated in great astonishment. Never heard of such a thing. Well, the Queen replied, but there's one great advantage in it, that one's memory works both ways. Well, I'm sure mine only works one way, Alice remarked. I can't remember things before they happen. Well, it's a poor sort of memory that only works backwards, the Queen remarked. Young felt that this story illustrated our conditioned response to the intersection of meaningful events. We want to reason those events retroactively from some known established cause or set of causes. This condition response is our version of the poor sort of memory that only works backwards. The White Queen's memory system, which advantageously works both ways, remain one of Jung's favorite metaphors for synchronicity. Now remember the jigsaw puzzle? We can remember forward that the individual pieces make a complete image without first knowing how they fit together. Jung's favorite personal story of synchronicity occurred in 1925, about nine months after he first introduced his theory of the collective unconscious. He was treating an intelligent, highly educated young woman whose very stubborn shell of logic and rationality presented a difficult barrier to a more open discussion of her darker inner struggles. This barrier was very frustrating to Jung and had become a significant handicap to the woman's treatment. A few days into the woman's therapy, Young was listening to her account of a vivid dream from the night before in which someone had presented her with a piece of expensive jewelry, a golden scarab brooch. Now, I'll ask Young to describe the rest of this synchronous event. While she was still telling me this dream, I heard something behind me gently tapping on the window. I turned around and saw that it was a fairly large flying insect that was knocking against the window pane from outside in an obvious effort to get into the dark room. This seemed very strange to me. I opened the window and immediately caught the insect in the air as it flew in. It was a scarabid beetle, whose gold-green color almost nearly resembled that of a golden scarab. I handed the beetle to my patient with the words, here is your scarab. This experience punctured the desired hole in her rationalism and broke the ice of her intellectual resistance. The treatment could now be continued with satisfactory results. This was Jung's own version of remembering forward.
Now, it's been 90 years since that incident. And now in 2016, puncturing a hole in our rationalism is even more difficult. But let's see if we can puncture a few holes in rationalism anyway. Ironically, by returning to Jung's relationship with rational, visionary scientists. In Jung's theory of the collective unconscious, we see the remarkable result of his four-year relationship with Albert Einstein, in, which suggested possible links between new physics and new psychology. We can also see that the 1925 Golden Scarab incident validated Jung's assertion about the possibility of synchronicity between the greater universe and our personal experience. But the theory of synchronicity was still missing a crucial component. By 1925, Jung had not yet identified this missing component, but he might have expressed the question this way. If Einstein's space-time is the medium of synchronicity, and the golden scarab is the outcome of synchronicity, then what is the mechanism of synchronicity? Now, Jung himself spoke about the answer to this question in a 1953 letter. Professor Einstein was my guest on several occasions at dinner. These were the very early days when Einstein was developing his first theory of relativity, and it was he who first started me thinking about a possible relativity of time as well as space and their psychic conditionality. His genius as a thinker exerted a lasting influence on my own intellectual work. I pumped him about his relativity theory. I'm not gifted in mathematics, and I went 14 feet deep into the floor. I felt quite small. More than 30 years later, the stimulus led to my relationship with a quantum physicist, Wolfgang Pauli, and to my thesis of psychic synchronicity. So who was Wolfgang Pauli? And how did he join Freud and Einstein to become one of the godfathers of synchronicity? Wolfgang Pauli was a Swiss theoretical physicist and is considered one of the original defining voices in the field of quantum physics. He's credited with some of the most important theories that still shape our modern understanding of quantum mechanics. Some of his more notable theories are the principle of spin in subatomic particles. I'm not going to explain these to you, but they're really, really fascinating and really important. The probable existence of neutrinos and the principle of exclusion, or the Pauli principle. It's an essential key to the discovery of new quantum particles, like the Higgs boson, also known as the God particle, which was discovered in 2013. Pauli's accumulated contributions to science were considered so significant that Albert Einstein personally nominated Pauli for the Nobel Prize in 1945, which he was awarded that year. Pauli's quantum principles have helped validate Einstein's relativity model of space, time, and gravity. For example, much of our current understanding of the structure and behavior of black holes and wormholes is driven by a basic synthesis of Einstein's and Pauli's theories. More to our point, the idea of synchronicity was also a synthesis of Carl Jung's theories of the unconscious and Wolfgang Pauli's theories of the quantum universe. This story of synthesis is really fascinating. In 1930, Pauli experienced a severe emotional breakdown following his mother's tragic suicide and a sudden painful divorce. In desperation, he sought out Carl Jung, and began a four-year clinical exploration of the complex struggle with his emotional, scientific, and psychic identities. Through the course of this clinical relationship, Jung recorded and analyzed 1,300 of Pauli's dreams. 
many of which contained mythic images and themes that resonated with Jung's own experiences during his powerful Red Book period. Albert Einstein had inspired Carl Jung to see the possibilities of a harmony, if not a unity, between physics and psychology. Jung's relationship with Wolfgang Pauli soon evolved into a similar scientific exchange, but this time involving quantum physics. Through the analysis of Pauli's dream experiences, parallels emerged between Jung's theories of universal archetypes operating in the collective unconscious and Pauli's theories of subatomic particles operating in the quantum realm. Pauli could not reject Jung's theories about these unseen, unverified psychological phenomena any more than he could abandon his own theories about the unseen, unverified phenomena of quantum physics. Pauli was convinced that quantum mechanics provided the most plausible scientific explanation for Jung's concept of the collective unconscious. In turn, the collective unconscious provided the most plausible psychological explanation for Pauli's powerful dream experiences. The collective unconscious also provided a rationale for Pauli's unorthodox view of the origins of scientific discovery. Pauli believed that many important scientific advancements were not always born of a logical process or empirical evidence, but instead were often subjective, intuitive, inspired, and visionary, and way ahead of the evidence. And finally, through this remarkable parallel vision of psychology and physics, Carl Jung was convinced that Pauli's quantum theories of subatomic particles had finally provided his missing mechanism of synchronicity. This is part one of the first presentation on synchronicity. Part two will be continued in the next podcast episode. Thank you for listening. If you're interested in joining the Question community, we meet every third Sunday evening at Redbush Tea and Coffee Company in the Kensington neighborhood of Calgary starting at 7. You can participate in the online discussion on our Facebook page, which is The Question, or on Twitter at TQCom. That's at T-Q-C-O-M-M. Our website is www.thequestion.ca. Thanks again for listening, and remember that our answers are only possible because of our questions.